0: Hello and welcome to the HTP podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host Gary Morgan, finally back in the saddle with my good friend and the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Cresson. How you doing, brother?
1: If everybody listening and could have just heard the conversation Gary and I had, not more than forty-five seconds ago. Uh, about where we would live where we would not live throughout this great country uh you probably laugh at us i'm doing okay otherwise gary for once (laughs) i would call it a slow week in pit athletics i think uh compared to at least what we've experienced over the last what two months and of course with last week's nfl draft wrapping up we'll get your thoughts on that obviously but uh, otherwise, not doing too bad over here. Just kind of keep things moving per usual. I wish I had more exciting things to say, but I just don't at this time. <laughs> hey, we deserve a
0: little bit of a break. And and without coffee, it's very appropriate <laughs> that we're going to be talking about Jackson Brown transferring because you and I are both running on empty.
1: good job so i mean jackson
0: brown transfers over from cal what do you think of that man it fortifies the offensive line a little bit does he step right in
1: it's a great question Uh, and i like the move first off uh, essentially for both ways right with with the transfer portal coming in jackson brown former three-star offensive lineman he played at cal last year You know, the son of a former Panther, Tony Brown, you know that name. And I'm sure those listening in know that name more than I do. I had to look it up to be completely fully honest with you. Um, But when you look at the offensive line depth, this is a move that's going to help it. And this is really intriguing from the standpoint of what it could mean next year or two years from now when it comes to Jackson Brown and Ryan Barrett's bookend tackles. I mean, right. now this gives Pat Narduzzi flexibility when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to the transfer portal, about finding left tackle, right tackle, and and really solidifying that offensive line. We've seen uh, Coach Narduzzi go into the portal uh, in the past for you know the skill positions, but really with the offensive line, with the stability it had for however many years it had been, fit four or five, maybe even six years with the stability on that offensive line. You know, he really hasn't had the need to do this. And, you know, it helps that Brown obviously had the connection, right? You know, he had the connection from his dad. And, you know, obviously this is something that he wanted to do. He wanted to come back home and he said, this is home. So when you think about just in terms of the fit, this is obviously something both sides can see it through. And I think in, in terms of football matters, this is a nice move for the future of the Pitt offensive line. And with Ryan bear and the potential for him as a left tackle and how high of a recruit he was as a four-star. Now you got a guy like Jackson Brown, where there's at least insurance at, at minimum, this gives Pitt depth. This gives Pitt insurance beyond just Branson Taylor and Matt Gonsalves at the tackles.
0: And this guy was only in the portal for like, what a week,
1: five days. I think it was. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: I mean, Yeah, this was a a pretty targeted and quick move. Right. I mean, like he had one target. It feels like he went into it knowing that he was coming right back out of it. There was no real chatter. He was going anywhere else. So, hey, good stuff. I I think uh, Pitt's reputation continues to grow as far as like what they're going to do in the trenches and people want to play here. That's a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. we should probably talk a little bit about the, the, um, the draft picks because I know that you got to talk about it a little bit, but I didn't really get to talk too much about it. <laughs> Anything that surprised you really that besides uh, maybe somebody not getting picked that you thought might, I felt like it was pretty representative of what we'd been laying down. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that we talked about kind of went,
1: if there's a surprise to take away from it, it's that Hubbard Baldonado didn't get picked and yeah. not, I don't want to say it's unfair that he was, I guess, mocked or projected like pretty highly. And now in comparison to being undrafted, you know, Pitt, Pitt had four undrafted free agents that I'd like to actually get into a little bit more with, Sure, you know, Hubbard Baldonado, um, Deslin Alexander with Tyler Wilts you know, go into the Steelers. I think that's a really intriguing move from, you know, his standpoint. And then Jared Wayne signing with uh, Houston as an undrafted free agent. You know, I think there's four really interesting names, you know, talking about who didn't get drafted. But when it comes to who did get drafted, here's here's an interesting angle I want your, your thoughts on. Sure. I was intrigued that Eric Hallett went ahead of Brandon Hill. Solely based on, number one, Hill's testing and his athletic ability. He ran the fastest 40 at the Combine for a safety. You know, Hallett isn't as big and isn't built like a Brandon Hill. He doesn't hit as hard as a Brandon Hill. But what I think I found interesting about Eric Hallett was he was announced by the Jaguars when he was drafted as a cornerback, not as a safety and I think there's a clear distinction there. Just like Kalijah Cansey, if you if you really paid attention, was announced as his defensive end, not a defensive tackle, when he was picked by Tampa Bay. So when it comes to Eric Hallett, you know, when you're drafted in the seventh round, whether it's linebacker, safety, cornerback, you kind of have to cut your teeth as a special teamer. And when you know about Pitt, guys like Servasi, Dennis, Eric Hallett, Brandon Hill, they played on special teams at Pitt. So I sure did. The Jaguars obviously found something different in Eric Hallett than in Brandon Hill to select him ahead of Hill. I found that really interesting though. What about you?
0: I mean, once you get into like the sixth and seventh round, it's so hard to tell because Mm -hmm. it really becomes about like whatever these teams swing a miss on in the first five or six rounds, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily who's better at that point. It's who fits what they need more. I think. So I don't read too much into it, but what your point about Eric Hallett being called as a corner, I think we, we kind of thought that might happen with him, you know, cause I don't know if he has the NFL size to be a, a safety, mm-hmm. but there's something about his quarterbacking skills in the, in the secondary that I thought might translate well. So I actually thought somebody was going to take him as almost like an inside linebacker project, mm-hmm. you know, just move him move him up a little bit. I was kind of surprised to see corner because I don't necessarily think he has the speed to hold that in the NFL either.
1: You know, and I think there's something to be said about his foot, his football smarts and his his IQ, as they would say, right? You know, Hatlett was more of the ball hawk between him and Hill. Whereas Hill was more the run stopper, you know, Sure. Eric Hallett was more adept and more skilled and more refined at defending the pass. And again, when it comes to, like you said, with fit and with team and just like teams taking flyers, you know, when you're drafted in the sixth and the seventh round, you're at that point, not only looking to fill depth, you're looking for upside. You know, what is Eric Hallett's upside compared to a Brandon Hill? In fairness to Brandon Hill, you know, when you look at the recent track record with a Damar Hamlin, with a Jordan Whitehead, especially with those two, even in Avante Maddox, when you want to break it down, you know, Pitt has put not just corners, they put safeties into the league as of recent, with a lot of draft picks going to play safety at the next level at a really decent level. So when it comes to Brandon Hill, I think there is potential for him, you know, to, to kind of move out of that special teams first mold and maybe get some play times as safety. I think this is more of a challenge for Eric Hallett because not only is is it a position swap, he's a natural safety, but also I think it's from the standpoint of he's going to have to not only learn a new position, he's also going to have to like kind of play it differently and of course he's not going to play outside cornerback. It doesn't seem that way at least. If anything, he'd play more towards the inside of the field as a slot corner, as a nickel, right. you know, and a dime cornerback, which I think would be a role that fits him pretty well. Well, he's
0: used to playing structured coverage. So it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like they're going to let him free wheel. And, and, you know, yeah, six round pick, there's no guarantee that you, that you make a team, you know? So mm-hmm. let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves about what he'll do. But I, I think everybody that gets drafted from Pitt, as you already pointed out, they already know how to play special teams so they tend to make themselves valuable pretty quick you know mm-hmm. most of them end up sticking for that reason so as long as they're you know a skill position i think like the lines when you start getting drafted there it's a little bit more okay you have to make it now right mm-hmm. so let's take a quick virtual break anyway and then we'll come back here and uh, finish up talking about the draft a little bit We're back to the h2p podcast here on dk pittsburgh sports podcast network Corey and gary with you and we're going to pick up where we left off talking about the draft a little bit because you brought up something really interesting to me Collage Cansey being called an edge um lineman i i don't know that he's got that in his tool bag you know <laughs> i really <laughs> don't it's a much different thing maneuvering the interior of a line to put pressure than it is going around the outset outside edge it takes a much different skill set to contain you know both the running game and to get around that edge I don't know that i've seen him with that kind of skill set what do you think do you think that that's ultimately something he can do or does he really need to end up being like a Interior in
1: a 4-3. You know, when I saw that he was going to Tampa Bay, I kind of peeked an eyebrow at it because we talked about pre-draft, about fits for Kalijah, and we both agreed and probably still agree, that he would be the best served in a 4-3 defense where he can line up in the interior and be more effective in stopping the pass, which is what he was able to do really well in college, right? He was a, you know, when you look at the pro football focus grades and you look at the pass rush numbers and you, you know, see how many sacks and TFLs and hurries and rushes and all this other stuff that he had, he was amazing at defending the pass, but wasn't amazing. He was good, but he wasn't amazing at stopping the run. So when it comes to being a three, four defensive lineman, You know, that interior, you want somebody that's much larger, quite frankly, than Kalijah is to plug up, you know, a gap, maybe even two in some cases with the really good ones do. Now, Kalijah just isn't that. So when the Bucks drafted him, that was not a Twinkie.
0: He's not a Twinkie or two away from it either. That's what a lot of people want to. A lot of people want to pretend he can just eat his way into it, but you can't.
1: No. But when the Bucks drafted him, I went, oh, okay. And then I heard defensive end. I said, oh, okay. So there's clearly a plan that Todd Bowles has. And this is, you know, not far removed from being a Super Bowl defense, right? You know, with Todd Bowles, he clearly has a plan for Kalijah. And one of the things we talked about pre-draft about Kalijah was if he was going to go to a 3-4 scheme, he would have to be a fit within that scheme in some way that's not nose tackle in the way that I see the personnel around him at Tampa in Tampa Bay, you know, it's really intriguing with Cervasi Dennis going there as well, linebacker, but like with Vita via as a nose tackle, like he is a nose tackle. He, he doesn't have to move to the outside to let Elijah get some snaps inside. Maybe he does, but maybe that just like is a, is a pick to feed off of a Vita via in some way. Then could you be. look at the linebackers, but then you look at the linebackers with the Levante David and um, a Devin White. You know, you look at those really skilled, athletic rushing backers that just come at you, and Kalaja's is just another weapon on this defense. So when it comes to being an A three four defense, I think this could have been about as good as a fit as it could have been for Kalaja.
0: I, I mean, I'm happy for the kid. I think he's going to do great. I'm glad he got picked pretty high. You know, who do you think was the steal of the draft from Pitt's perspective? Like, who who do you think somebody just really got them early and or late? And my goodness, they're gonna step up and blow everybody's mind. I mean, you know, for I, me, it's Vassier.
1: No, uh, I want to hear that. Well, I want to hear that one. I,
0: hear that one. I, well, I think Dennis at in the fifth round. First of all, I think he's going to be a special team star quickly. Uh, he's just got a motor on him, and if he stays healthy all camp, I think he'll solidify a spot just just from that alone. Mm-hmm. I also think that he he plays a position that I think the Buccaneers are ultimately going to have to move on from their starter pretty soon, and and I could see him starting to eat playing time. So I think he'll probably make himself known this year.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's potential for him to build in that defense. And he even mentioned in his, you know, post draft press conference, he did a zoom essentially with reporters in Tampa Bay. You know, he said he studied Levante David and Devin White film. You know, he, he likes these guys. He, his dad, I think was a bucks fan. You know, he was wearing a bucks Jersey when Cervasi was doing his call. So I think that's a good place for him. You know, I think most people here would say what the jets did in the fourth round Um, excuse me, in the, would have been the fourth round? Yeah, it would have been the fourth round with Carter Warren. And then the fifth round with Israel Banakanda. I was surprised, not that Izzy didn't go in round four. I was surprised no running backs went in round four. You know, that's kind of like the time you start day three of the draft. That's kind of the time where, you know, you start to see a couple go off the board. None of them went in round four. And then Izzy gets picked, you know, by the Jets in round five. And I think the value for the Jets. And grabbing a backup running back, not just that he's twenty years old; he's a yo- he was the youngest player in the draft. Not just that he is a Brooklyn native and he's coming home to play football; those are all great. But from a system fit and from looking at who he's backing up standpoint, I think this is a no brainer fit for Izzy. You know, you get to backup Reese Hall, a guy that in the pre-draft world, in the comparisons world. That's the guy who Izzy was getting compared to was Brees Hall because of his speed, because of his burst, because of just his shiftiness in some settings. There is obviously concern with Izzy. I don't want to say concern because he's still 20 and like developing, but like he, his game just isn't as refined as maybe like a B. John Robinson, who's obviously an athletically gifted human, you know, sure. but, but there's a difference between what Izzy and maybe a Jameer Gibbs. You know, there's just a couple of things that Izzy is missing from his toolbox. And the fact that he gets to go to the Jets and be a backup or even a third down back behind breeze Hall and along with the Michael Carter, he gets to join Carter Warren, which I thought that was interesting, too, that Carter Warren was the second pit player picked and not Izzy. You know, Carter Warren yeah. getting picked on day three to start off with, with, you know, getting getting to be the left tackle that the Jets go for and you know his story in and of itself is incredible as well but I think Izzy going to the Jets is a long-term investment for that position for not just the Jets but I think also for Izzy to kind of settle in get to work he doesn't have to feel pressure to start right away he can return kicks for them if they really need him to so He's going to be a gadget weapon. He's going to be something for that team. I just don't know what it is, but I think he's like an instant impact. We'll see the field day one type of player. If, if Kalijah's one, then I think Izzy's two in that regard from this draft class. I, I
0: like Izzy. I, th- I think he's a talented player. I, I'd love to see him do well. The Steelers screwed the Jets into having to take Carter Warren like, when they did because... Uh, that he and Belichick helped the Steelers skip uh the Jets to take their offensive line choice. Out that was of their a Belichick hands.
1: move. That was a Belichick yes, was. move according to the according to the streets and the reports on it.
0: Yes, it was. Uh, I have a little bit of trepidation every time somebody from Pitt or whatever ends up going to the Jets. I don't trust the Jets to do anything right. <laughs> now, and I haven't for a really long time. And I think this whole Aaron Rodgers thing is a sham. I, I think it's a, a waste of time. In fact, I think they're hurting themselves in the long term by doing it. I really think they should have just stayed the course. They were building a good team and just kept building through the draft and been patient about it. That's all. I hope that I'm wrong. And I hope Carter Warren and Izzy do great there. But. I don't trust them to use said gadget. Well, and I worry they're going to force Carter Warren to be ready to start in the NFL too quickly. You know,
1: I'll back Carter Warren with this. If he didn't get hurt last year, I think he's a day two pick no matter what. Like, I think I'm fairly certain that if Carter Warren doesn't hurt his knee week four and misses whatever it is, you know, nine games last year, I think there's a good solid chance that he is a day two offensive tackle taken off the board. Just based on his length, based on his build, his athleticism, like he has good tape. There there's no bones about it. You know, with the Jets, I'll put it this way, the Rams sold out for a Super Bowl and it works. And quite frankly, I don't think Stan Kroenke, Sean McVay out there are regretting any bit of it. And They're going through some growing pains right now because, you know, they traded all of their first round picks. I don't, I think, I think next year is the first first round pick they've had since Jared Goff, to put it that way. So the Rams sold their soul essentially for the better part of however many years this rebuild takes. I mean, Stetson Bennett's going to be their future quarterback. Like that's the stage the Rams are at. So. There are teams that now have seen what the Rams have done in selling out and and just going all in balls to the wall for a Super Bowl, and for the Rams it worked. So with the Jets, you know they had a chance to get Aaron Rodgers, the future Hall of Famer. They had a chance to get all these different weapons for him. You know they have a like really good offense now. I think Izzy can be a part of it. I don't know what Carter Warren's staying power, starting power is right away. Just number one, is he healthy enough? Number two, looking at Dwayne Brown at left tackle, he's I think 38, 39 years old. So there's a veteran option at left tackle. They had to get younger at the position. So maybe while Carter doesn't play this year, I think next year, maybe even in a couple of years, this could be something that he could work into. Opposite Makai Becton, that's a former first round pick, who's battled a lot of injuries in his career with his knees. So, there's potential there for Carter Ward to play. It's just a matter of you know, when or how.
0: It's funny because you know, and, and we don't need to turn this into an NFL discussion, but no. It's funny like cuz you talk about you you relate the Jets to basically what LA did. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, they're still third place in that division. Like that's valid. I I think I think the Dolphins are going to beat them and I think the Bills are going to beat them.
1: And I don't think
0: they have answers for them.
1: In fairness, though, the Rams weren't exactly like they were perceived as the best team in the NFC West. But there were thoughts that the 49ers could beat them in a playoff setting. I mean, all it takes is getting on at the right time and winning in the playoffs. And, you know, you might get the right matchup. You might get the wrong matchup. You know, look at the look at the Bucks and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Right. I mean, everybody in the world would have thought, okay, this is the coronation of Patrick Mahomes going against Tom Brady, passing of the torch. And then the Buccaneers pasted them like you just never know when it comes down to the postseason. All you have to do is get yourself in and, you know, never know what could happen.
0: Maybe Rogers finds the right combination of mushrooms and darkness and everything works. (laughs) I just I personally don't see it. I don't see it.
1: The ayahuasca plant or whatever the heck it is. Yeah.
0: So. It's the schedule is is out, you know, we know what's happening with, with pit football here and starts up in September. So we have a whole summer to stew on this team, right? Oh yeah. What's, what's the off season schedule look like, Corey? Like when, when do things start ramping up and you can just give me generalities. I don't need the actual dates.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a spring ball wrapped up, right? It's kind of like the end, if you will, because technically Speaking, we're in a summer. You know, we're getting close. If not, we're in already. I don't know. I don't remember school schedules. I'm removed from that. You know, summer break, right? You know, so you know, yeah, they're in summer break home. now. Yeah, so players are home. Players are scattered across the country. They're doing their own workouts. So really, the next thing that's on the calendar for pit football is is fall camp, summer camp. You know, in late August and. You know, when it comes to media day, you know, Pat Narduzzi will be in Charlotte. I'm sure a couple of players will be with him to talk about, you know, what work they've done. You know, Phil covet coming in. You know, that's really the next step. Just try to get to fall camp. Stay healthy over the summer. Uh, get your workouts in. And maybe put on, Some people have to put on weight. Some people should lose weight. I'm one of them. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, like, the NCAA and its calendars, you know, once you get to the summer – things really do get quiet because quite frankly, school's just out of session. So, you know, we're just kind of getting ready for the start of a new school year coming up in the fall and, you know, the spring sports are wrapping up. So not much going on in the football front really until, you know, late July, August, when we get to talk about, you know, training camp and everything.
0: Hey, so that's a good place to end. I think, man, unless you got anything else to add,
1: Um, we should take another break. And I think what we can do and I think this will be an interesting point of discussion. It'll be a brief discussion. I think we could talk about pit basketball in the vacuum of what are the next steps for this team? And can this team replicate what this old team just did? And I say old team by the fact of the NCAA tournament team. We'll explain that. Let's take a break. I'll throw it to break this time. It sounds good. We'll be back for a third segment right here on the H2P podcast.
0: Right, and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and Corey has a topic he'd like to bring up.
1: As I teased before, uh, and if you're watching the live stream, it was very brief a uh, moment ago. When it comes to Pitt <laughs> basketball, you know, there are two there are two scholarships open, Gary. Pat, or, er, Pat Arduzzi. gosh. Imagine if Pat Arduzzi coached basketball, Jeff Cable coached football for a day. That'd be amazing. It'd <laughs> be amazing. Jeff Capel still in the transfer portal. There was a recruit hosted by Pitt just a couple of days ago. We don't need to bring his name up because by the point by the point you listen to this next week it could not matter. But this said recruit his name is Noah Thomas and he's out of Niagara. I spoiled it anyway. Is supposed to commit later this week as we record this. We're on Saturday, May 6th. I believe he's supposed to commit on the 10th. So, there's a there's a prospect Jeff Capel's still looking. He's looking to fill voids from this team. You know, we have seen Zach Austin commit. We have seen Ish Leggett commit inside. You know, when it comes to having to replace guys like Nellie Cummings and Jamarius Burton and company, the seniors that left after helping quickly rebuild this into an NCAA tournament team, you know, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, Gary, on team composition from that standpoint. You know, we talked about Ish Leggett in the, in the sense of a Jamarius Burton. We talked about Zach Austin as a really athletic swingman that could get out. But right now, I think Pitt's lacking some three-point shooting. As the team sits right now, do you think there's enough to get back to that level Pitt was at? And I'm not talking about winning two NCAA tournament games. That, that thing just kind of happens. But maybe even just getting back to the NCAA tournament, do you think that Jeff Capel's building for the potential to get back there again? Do you think it's there right now?
0: I, I like it. It kind of depends on the deployment, you know. I I feel like he may be forced into finding a way to get the twins more involved uh, because I think Fetty's going to take oh, almost all their playing time. I really do. <laughs> I think Fetty's that good. So to me, that that's going to be the interesting part, and I'm kind of hoping that's not where they go for their three point shooting. Because I like them, but I'm not 100 percent sure that works long term. We'll I don't know if they handle the ball well enough to to be out there as as often as they should be. I, I don't know. I like it overall. It's so hard in comparison to look at Duke and and think that you know, they're even going to hang in there. Um, Duke looks
1: sc- really scary right now on paper. I mean, oh can they goodness. finish
0: like top five in this in this conference? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair place to kind of target being.
1: And you know what? North Carolina doesn't worry me if I'm a pit fan. We saw that last year, like North Carolina, Armando Baycott, Federico handled Baycott, you know, and North Carolina is losing some pieces from even last year's team. So not much to worry about when it comes to the Tar Heels. You know, when I think of what Jeff Capel needs in, in terms of just like a missing link for this next team, I think he needs another three-point shooter. And I think that's like the one thing that should come off the list this summer, one way or another, whether it's getting, you know, a high-end like dynamite punch you in the mouth recruit, or even if it's just a depth option and someone that is just a three-point specialist. Like I think somebody else, and I think that's the key word, somebody else that needs to, you know, fire a three every here and then or help Blake Henson out or help spread the floor. You know, I don't mind the Diaz Graham twins, the three as grams, if you will, but I don't need to see it more than twice, three times, four times a game at the max. Maybe they develop over the summer. You know, there's sure. still a whole offseason season of development. I was just curious about your thoughts on the current standing of the roster and maybe what you think. What else Jeff Capel would need to go in for? I'd like the-
0: somebody, somebody else that can handle the ball like a point. Um, if only because we're throwing an awful lot of trust at a kid that I don't necessarily think t- has earned any any trust. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm don't get me wrong, I, I'm not saying he doesn't have the right to play or anything, or or, or they should just cut ties with him, but I don't like pinning. All my hopes on him being the sole point guard. First, he's never played the NCAA. i was
1: talking about <laughs> Dior Johnson, of course.
0: Yeah. I don't know that he's gonna be good. I mean, he might be. He should be. That. They think he should be. But until you get them on the paint, you don't know. And and I think I'd like to see just have another ball handling option, and it'd be great if that ball handling option could shoot threes too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that to me is what I would target is a point guard.
1: I think the potential for ish Leggett is interesting because he only shot 32% from three at Rhode Island. He wasn't, he wasn't a sharpshooter by any means, but when I look at his tape and I look at kind of his game, he reminds me of a Jamarius Burton. Like we talked about when he first committed. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, he's a guy that can get in the paint. he He can create shots. He can facilitate. He can pass out. And I think that he's going to fill that role. Now, looking at the Zach Austin, he's not a sharpshooter either, but he's a very athletic wing. And he's going to be able to give Jeff Capel flexibility in his front court. So as of right now, the front court is, is sewn up, right? With Federico, the Twins, yeah. Blake Henson, Zach Austin. I mean, right there, there's five in the front court alone. And then you add a Will Jeffers who's coming back, of course, you know, from his foot injury and his foot surgery, so there are options in the front court. The back court is the thing that concerns me the most, and and e- that's even with an itch-legged coming in because there isn't that three point guy. There there isn't the certainty. You know, when you when you brought Nellie Cummings in, you know, you being Jeff Cable, when he brings Nellie Cummings in, he's bringing a proven player at some level, right? In the college, sure. in yeah, college right. basketball, Colgate. You know, he played really well for an NCAA tournament team at Colgate and you knew what you were getting with the Nellie Cummings. You are correct in, in your assessment about Dior Johnson. We know how fantastic he was as a high school player, but what does he bring to the table as far as a college basketball player? What does he translate as a college basketball player? Now let's not forget Jalen Lowe, Carlton Carrington, Marlon Barnes, the three freshmen that are coming in. I think Carrington and Lowe are, gonna, are, are envisioning by this point as key major pieces as true freshmen in that backcourt. And I, and I wouldn't rule out by this point, I wouldn't rule out. Now, I think Leggett starts at the two, but I wouldn't rule out that Jalen Lowe gets more playing time than you would probably imagine. Just thinking about in terms of a lineup with him and Deorn in it at the same time.
0: Yeah, anything's possible like that, Corey. I think for me, I just I, I feel like the way that they want to run this offense that point guard needs to be a mature person and they at least need to have a mature option to go to. That's why I, I specifically say via the, the, the portal is how I would try to fill that because I want somebody that's done it before ish might be that guy. Mm-hmm. But I, from what I saw and it was brief, I didn't think he handled the ball well enough to be a, a true point guard. You know, that said I've said the same thing about Jamarius Burton. You know, last mm-hmm. year. So, and I certainly trusted him to handle the ball. So, I don't know. I'm just saying I, I have a little bit of a, a wishy washy feeling just because I don't know what to expect from Dior. Mm-hmm. And it's, I haven't seen him play, you know, and, and I think I, I'd really like to see a little bit of that before I, I kind of feel good about it. But all in all, I think the composition's there that they could probably finish top third of that. That league and I, I think that's certainly better than where Pitt has looked like they were gonna land in the past right
1: mm-hmm. at least in the jeff Capel era you know it's a good feeling to have going into the offseason and hopefully you know they're just a piece or two away from that gary hey for for not having much to talk about this week we found a way to talk about quite a bit for a half hour so hey that's stuff. the
0: way it is man
1: good stuff this week gary
0: yep hey that's how you end the show h2p